The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. So, welcome everyone. So, tonight's topic is uh, tending the tender heart. Tending the tender heart. And uh, for some of you that don't know me, my name is Mara, Mara Young, and um, I've been a longtime practitioner. Um, and member of Common Ground um, and started practicing mm, when I was young back in the mid-70s. <laughs> so I'll date myself. And uh, this practice has transformed my life and I have an opportunity to, to um, share it in various capacities, including as a psychotherapist that integrates um, meditation, mindfulness, Buddhist psychology, in private practice in some other locations, as well as um, teaching mindfulness-based stress reduction, happiness course, other courses within some university settings. So I'm very grateful to be here, and I'm aware that um, for some some folks, um, it's a holiday or it's an auspicious time of year with the light at 7 o'clock and 7.30 in the evening, and... um, so I thought that, that we would spend some time at this springtime of renewing and clearing and caring for the tender heart. I'd like to start with a quote from the Buddha, and this is from the Loving Kindness, the Metta Sutta. Like a mother holding and guarding this life, like a mother, like a caring mother, holding and guarding the life of her only child. So with a boundless heart, hold yourself and all beings. With a boundless heart, hold yourself and all beings. I realize that the first, one of the first memories and people in my life that offered an unconditional love and was it just feel tender when I think about this person was my grandmother, my mother's mother. And uh, just this weekend, um, this this week I got to hear um, the Zen Buddhist teacher, I don't know if some of you got to hear him, Norman Fisher was in town, he's a 40-year practitioner, Zen teacher, author, poet, writer. And I had an opportunity to hear him at one of the other Dharma centers and then go to a writer's spiritual writing workshop yesterday. And he gave us a list of words. And one of the words was apron. I mean, when's the last time? (laughs) You know, like, I mean, you might see somebody in the co-op wearing an apron, but when's the last time you've worn an apron or you think about aprons? And and he had us do some flow writing, and we'd sit quiet, and we'd write. And, and I started writing, and what came to mind was this yellow apron that my mother had this drawer of frilly little aprons, uh, which I rarely, if ever, wore. Um, and one of them was this kind of translucent yellow fabric with little ruffle around, you know, a little hostess apron. And I, I, I was suddenly filled with this warmth of my grandmother. 
And um, my grandmother died when I was three. She had a heart attack at age 58. And I was only three years old. But I had these, I was telling a friend um, earlier today about the memories I have of her. Um, And she made things for me. And she was from the old country. She was an immigrant from Romania um, and uh, came to Canada. And uh, she, you know, embroidered tablecloths and, you know, she sewed. And she had made me a navy blue velvet dress with a little tiger tiger emblem on the pocket. And and um, she made me my first pair of jeans that were an orange denim. You know, just thinking of those people that maybe touched our heart. And, and she was there when we welcomed my newborn sister home to the apartment that we lived in in Chicago. So I just am filled with this unconditional love from, um, from my grandmother. And, you know, that this type of tending the heart is really about softening the heart. And especially at these times in our world, I mean, there's, always a, there's never not a good time to be connected and, and loving in our hearts. But also, you know, when there's this type of, um, you know, just devastating um, terrorism and, and loss and, and so much going on that we can't control. Like, how do we be with that? How do we care for our hearts? How do we tend them? You know, just earlier today, heard about the next um, suicide bombing. Um, very painful, let alone the politics that are going on. And uh, so it's very important to care for our hearts. Another experience I had recently was um, the, the Palestinian-American poet Naomi Shihab Nye was in town. Did anyone get to hear her? Um, she was at St. Kate's about a week ago. And she goes all over the world, and she does world work around peace and healing. And there's this wonderful sense of humor and and also very deep. We use one of her poems in the Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Program called Kindness. And she shared the backstory about this poem, that this actually took place, that she and her husband um, were on their honeymoon, and they had this idea that they would go to Brazil and take a bus from one part of the country all the way through the entire country of Brazil. And while they were on that bus, there was um, uh, an incident where someone was murdered and everything was taken, including her passport, their passports. And so here she was, I I don't know where they were, but obviously had, had just had this really scary experience. And she had a little pencil and a paper and notebook in her pocket and she said that uh, a voice came to her and she wrote this poem kindness so I'd like to read that even if you're familiar with it and now you know the backstory. and she did say that after she wrote this poem that it was kind of like a meditation it sounded like it's like it came through her and and then 
And then she said she was able to think of at least three things that, she, that were the next steps in such a situation. Kindness. Before you know what kindness really is, you must lose things. Feel the future dissolve in a moment like salt in a weakened broth. What you held in your hand and what you counted and carefully saved, all this must go so you know how desolate the landscape can be between the regions of kindness. How you ride and ride thinking the bus will never stop. The passengers eating maize and chicken will stare out the window forever. Before you learn the tender gravity of kindness, you must travel where the Indian in a white poncho lies dead by the side of the road. You must see how this could be you, how he too was someone who journeyed through the night with plans and the simple breath that kept him alive. Before you know kindness is the deepest thing inside, you must know sorrow as the other deepest thing. You must wake up with sorrow. You must speak it till your voice catches the thread of all sorrows and you see the size of the cloth. Then it is only kindness that makes sense anymore, only kindness that ties your shoes and sends you out into the day to mail letters and purchase bread. Only kindness that raises its head from the crowd of the world to say, it is I you have been looking for, and then goes with you everywhere like a shadow or a friend. Unconditional love The love that gives without expecting anything in return is a kind of beauty. And the act of loving the unlovable is a kind of beauty too. Jesus of Nazareth was especially adept at this kind of beauty. And so so are many people. They love people apart from questions of attractiveness and reciprocity. They find beauty in what others call ugly. The harmony and intensity of beauty as we understand beauty runs much deeper than questions of attractiveness and unattractiveness as defined by social conventions and attached to clinging. Sometimes things are seen in their beauty when we are unattached to them and we can let them be without our forcing our projections onto them when we can let things be. So let's just take a moment to, to check in with our own hearts. Just kind of notice your own heart space and how your heart is feeling. You know, whether it's carrying the news of the day, whether it's about what this day means or not to you. Um, of just where you are in your life, some of those contemplations. Just taking a moment before we continue. This is a powerful time of year where 
life is renewing itself. Um, when I came out on the Zen Center steps, I noticed there were two small purple crocus, and they're up already, and uh, and just the budding of the of the uh, lilac tree, little buds by the garbage can <laughs> near the garage. Just those signs of life returning after the long winter. Rumi says, I was dead, then alive, weeping, then laughing. The power of love came into me, and I became fierce like a lion and tender as an evening star. Fierce as a lion and tender as an evening star. We're very tender-hearted beings. We all know that we are, you know, standing on these two legs. We have these open, vulnerable hearts, you know, we, when we, we're open and we're vulnerable. And we have this tender-heartedness. And how we care for our tender hearts, how we be with life in the 21st century and with just how it is, is really important. So one of the practices that I want to talk about tonight, um, I actually mentioned um, when I was here last, it's called Essence Love, and it comes from the Tibetan tradition. And Sokni Rinpoche writes about it in his book, Open Heart, Open Wisdom. And I'd like to give you a little definition about it and also um, several ways, some ways to connect with it. Um, I also, he also has a guided meditation on the website, and I, I believe it's on there. And I, um, I, I have it downloaded um, onto my um, computer, and I've used it so many times, especially when my heart feels dry. And uh, it's just this deep way of resting and relaxing and unconditional acceptance and love. It's like our metta practice, our loving-kindness practice and compassion. He describes it this way. Essence love, which is not the Tibetan term, that's his translation of a term I can't pronounce. (laughs) Essence love, I might try later, Essence love is, is, is part of a spark that we have at birth. So essence love is connecting with this spark that we all have within us. It's not something that we have to go out and get. Like, where do I find essence love? It's like right here all along. Because of too many conditions, you sort of dim or cover it. So our job is to reconnect that. And once we reconnect that essence love, then we can feel well-being in emotions, going there with mental strength. We, then, we can then reconnect. Once you reconnect, you feel you have love, but you're not giving love necessarily, but you experience well-being as part of the subtle body or in the mind stream. So there's no looking for an external thing to fill in the gap hollowness, gap hollowness. I thought that was a powerful way to put that empty feeling that we can have or when no matter, there's nothing external 
that lasts, that can fill us. So you're, you're more in the emotional center. He says, I'm not talking about thinking. In the emotional center, you start to feel okay. Does this make sense? It's like a sense of okayness. So love, you start to feel okay. Love, love to whom, he says. Loving this just feels very warm, peaceful, and kind in some sense of emotional, open well-being. So there's a sense like that there's an openness, that this inner spark within us, that's our essence, we connect. And that connects us to a sense of okayness or well-being. And from that, we can be with our, all of our emotions. Because what usually happens, and I see this as a therapist as well, um, I was working with someone who had a parent die. Um, and there's these conflicting feelings towards that person and about that person. Um, never simple, is it? So um, there's a sense of, I cannot reconcile this. I cannot reconcile the fact that I have shit and crap in me, right? And they have crap in them. And, um, and there's also the good stuff. And there's the stuff that I love. And there's the beauty. There's the beauty and there's the shadow. And we get, can get very torn up inside when we can't be congruent. Um, I'll give you a, a, a very tiny but example from my own life is that we have, I mentioned um, before, some of you might have heard, but I have um, a cat. We, have a, we had a pet that had died we had for many years that um, lived to 21 years old, a cat, and uh, was very challenging towards the end of his life. Um, but also this new cat, after a year and a half, invited, she showed up in February, was given as a gift, And I said, I do not want a kitten. I do not want to go through that. (laughs) You know, up the curtains and wild and all that. Well, I got a cat that's a year old that's this big and is a kitten. And, And I see this screaming banshee that I become, especially at night by 10 or 10.30, or I get home late, because sometimes I teach till 9 o'clock, and I finally get home, and then... I'm greeted at the door by this being that's like a dog and yowling, feed me, feed me, play with me, play with me, is flying around the house. And um, um, it's all I can do to not <laughs> lose it. And, 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 and so I hear myself, you know, yelling at her, speaking harshly as if she could understand me, which I think she does. Um, you know, but just seeing this, and I thought, well, how do I give a Dharma talk on love when I have this rage come up with this being I can't control on a daily basis? And it happens to be that my husband is out of town for the last 10 days, and I'm like, you know, it's like being home with a house of a, a dozen toddlers. That's how it feels to me. <laughs> so, so I talked to him tonight, I said, I'm so glad. <laughs> and I told the cat, I said, you'll get more attention soon. <laughs> you know, give me a break. So, so, you know, we have, but it's like, is there room for that? Is there room for that sense of the part 
that gets hooked, that gets reactive, that, that does shut down. And again, it can be around anything, not just with a pet at home. Whatever we can't control, whatever challenges us, whatever's going on. And I similarly, when I turn on the news or I hear on the radio, it's just like there's just this, these intense feelings about um, what's going on. So this quality of essence love, touching into this innate spark that is our essence, and there's an okayness with whatever we're feeling, whether our heart is tired, whether we're, we're um, having a difficult time. And Sokni Rinpoche invites us, one, to connect with the qualities of openness and clarity, that offers everyone the possibility to experience a tender, unbiased openness towards every little being without every li- every living being without condition. So, so we can connect with. There's four qualities: qualities of openness and clarity. There's two: is unconditional kindness, gentleness, affection, born of openness and intelligence. Three, a basic tendency of the heart to open unconditionally. I'll say a little more about that. And that four is that warm spark of okayness. So these are like the four steps to help connect and feel that essence love. So connecting with the qualities of openness and clarity, that it's like that we can feel a tenderness towards others as well as ourselves. To understand this capacity that when we feel more unconditional love within our hearts and we connect with that, that it, it opens us to feel that with others. I don't know, I often hear that from a lot of people, students and clients and others, and it was the case for me earlier on, is that I felt like I could offer that unconditional love for others, but not myself. And you've probably heard this many times. It's often more difficult to say, well, I can send it out, but not here. But actually, the more you tap in here, the more you can let it radiate out. And the more that that sense of separation between self and other begins to dissolve. And you can have this deeper compassion for all beings, including (coughs) yourself. So this unconditional kindness, gentleness, and affection born of openness and intelligence can be nurtured into a bright burning flame that warms the whole world. Warms the whole world. And that three was the basic tendency of the heart to open unconditionally an essential aspect of our basic nature, a basic sense of well-being that's nurtured to extend to the kinship of all living beings. So all these steps are about just simply connecting with our openness, our intelligence, our kindness, our gentleness, unconditionality, to be able to really feel a kinship, which actually takes care of that hollow, empty, lonely, disconnected feeling within our own hearts as well. And the sense of okayness. I know that having practiced with Sokni Rinpoche, there's just a sense of this of that that fire burning this warm kindness filling and at the end of um 
one retreat we were on, he, he just in his Tibetan accent just said, love, I love. <laughs> like you just like this love and you just feel it. You feel it and you can be in a room with hundreds of people. You can be in a room and he's, he's answering questions in these smaller groups, right, with only 50 people in them and this retreat. And he'll, 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 um, he'll just be right with that person you know, really attuning to them. And, and this, is, this is that kind of practice that it's like you feel like, you know, he's no longer this Tibetan Rinpoche, you know, that grew up in the Himalayas and is wearing these fancy robes, but he is just like your dearest friend who knows your heart. And I think that, that we can all have that experience when we start to connect. So, so really... Tonight is about love and love poems, this essence love. Anthony DeMello says, Don't change. Change is impossible. And even if it were possible, it is undesirable. Stay. Stay as you are. Love yourself as you are. And change, it if, and, and, and if, and change if it is at all possible, will take place by itself when it wants. Leave yourselves alone. The only growth-promoting change is that which comes from self-acceptance. That's a different twist. (laughs) What? You mean I don't have to work harder? Um, I have one, one client recently was saying, I'm so used to working hard. Like, tell me what to do. You know, what do I have to do? And so I'm saying, well, do less. And they kind of looked at me like, really? Let go more and do less. It's like, that is like radical because it's like I'm supposed to do something. Miriam Peterson says, what is our deepest desire? To be held this way in our mother's arms, to be nestled deep in the warmth of her body. And you can replace mother with some other person or being. To be held this way in our mother's arms, to be nestled deep in the warmth of her body, her gaze, to be adored, to overwhelm her with our sweetness. This is what we seek in chocolate, in the food and drink and drugs that stun the senses, that fill the veins with the rich cream of well-being. What we take for lust, can it be perhaps a heavy pang of longing to be swaddled? close, close to the heartbeat of a mother? No bucket seats, no jacuzzi, or even a lover's embrace can duplicate this luxuriance, this centered place on the rolling planet. So let's just take a moment throughout this time together to just keep just offering that unconditional warmth, that that loving like your child, your only child, your own heart, connecting with that essence, love. I can't tell you how many times where I've I've gone into a a longer self-retreat and I've listened to that essence love guided meditation and and I'm feeling like 
uh, can I do this? How do I stay with myself in this silence, on this self-retreat, day after day, my heart feels dry. And there's just this invitation to rest, to deeply, deeply soften and just be. Um, From the tradition I'm from, there's um, a lot of humor and there's a lot of complaining about life's problems. And soon you'll know. Because this is um, from Rabbi Nachman of Breslov. (laughs) This is a story about the chicken prince. Who are you? Asks, who are you? And how do and you'll you'll understand the metaphor right away. It's like we've sort of forgotten who we are. So it should be called the turkey prince instead of the chicken prince or the poultry prince. But um, I think it's always good to be able to laugh at ourselves. So you would like a little story. Here's one. So once there was a prince who lived with his father, mother, the king, and queen in a splendid fashion. He received the finest of educations and upbringing. To his parents' chagrin, right, one day the prince went through an identity crisis. And he came to the conclusion conclusion that he was really a turkey and not a human being. (laughs) So... They thought he was kidding. You know, his parents thought, oh, okay, sure, right, you think you're a turkey? Yeah, yeah, right. They thought he was kidding. But the reality was that he stopped joining them at the royal table, and instead he moved under the table, and he sat there naked, pecking at crumbs. Then they knew there was serious trouble afoot. Needless to say, the prince's strange behavior caused indescribable anger and angst for his loving parents, intense embarrassment. Can you imagine a royal family with a a prince naked under the table eating crumbs? And the king was ready to spare no expense for a person who could cure his son. The finest doctors, psychiatrists of the land came and tried to cure the prince. Did it work? No. (laughs) No to no avail. The king was at a loss until a gentle-looking wise man came to the palace. I hereby offer to cure the prince free of charge. Wow, he doesn't even charge. My only condition is that no one interferes with anything I do. Intrigued and desperate, the king and queen readily agreed. The following day, the prince had company under the table. Um, What are you doing here? asked the turkey prince. Why are you here, encountered the man. I am a turkey, responded the prince emphatically. Well, I am also a turkey, the man replied. With that, he began to gobble like a turkey, peck at the crumbs on the floor. The prince was convinced. A few days passed in this fashion. So now you've got two turkeys under the table eating crumbs. One morning, the wise man signaled to the king to bring him a shirt. He said to the prince, I don't see any reason a turkey can't wear a shirt. The prince thought about it and agreed, and soon the two of them were wearing shirts. So the wise men asked to bring a pair of pants, so it keeps going. So is there any reason a turkey can't wear a pair of pants? Brought him the pants. 
So over and over, um, he says, is it forbidden, you know, for turkeys to um, eat human food? No. So, so little by little, he, he challenged his, his delusion that he was a turkey, right? So we all think we're turkeys and we don't have love absence, right? So then he came to sitting at the table enjoying human food and conversation. And within a short time, the turkey prince, although still maintaining he was a turkey, began conducting himself exactly like a regular person. Fortunately, most of us don't suffer turkey complexes. But there's a question we can all ask ourselves. Am I limiting my potential because of my self-perception? Am I limiting my potential because of my self-perception? So there's many ways to take care of our heart. And one... um, from the Dharma punks, if some of you heard of uh, Noah Levine, Noah Levine, Dharma punks, um, he he's um, you know had gotten into drugs. He'd been in prison. He um, has had a lot of um, challenge in his life, and he's actually started a um, recovery program for people who've been in prison and um, drugs. And there's a, a whole Dharma recovery program that he's started. So he. He described this process of clearing and caring for our hearts as like an archaeologist. And he, he wrote an article called Excavating the Heart Through Buddhist Meditation Practice. And he said that it's like an archaeological dig and that in the early days he was on the surface and that this gradual uncovering of a loving heart and the process of awakening and healing is like this kind of excavation. And as you begin to dig, and maybe some of you have found this, I know I have and continue, is that there's these layers. There's these layers of sediment and layers of old beliefs and layers of old ways of feeling and defining ourselves and that we can begin as we start to sit, suddenly you experience all of this stuff that you maybe previously had been functioning on top of or disconnected from. Um, I see this a lot with folks as I work um, in the therapy process and teaching. Um, So as you begin, and he started doing the heart practices, you know, metta, loving kindness, compassion, empathetic joy and equanimity, he said that the heart practices were a further refining of the soil, and I was beginning to sift through the rubble rubble and looking to immediately find the treasure. He said that just the mindfulness alone, just beginning to become more mindful, he, he started to realize that there actually were treasures inside that he couldn't quite access. And then once he started doing the heart practices, that he thought he could just get the, get the gold immediately, like just sort of get the treasure. But he said that my early days of feeling more unsettled during compassion and kindness practice was because I was simply uncovering all the skeletons that had been buried over the years in the pains of my childhood and adolescence I'd been trying to avoid. And I'd actually become quite skilled at covering the insecurity and reactivity But with each meditative effort of forgiveness, kindness, and compassion, another shovel of dirt 
was getting me closer to the truth of my own heart. The heart practices could be seen as finer instruments of archaeology, like brushes that are gently sweep away the remaining dust covering the treasure of our own heart. So, so we can begin to um, think about the process in that way. So even though you might say, well, I don't really get this essence love stuff, or I don't even know if I have any treasure in my heart, just through the process of practice, it begins to come, arise. It's like that sense that we don't have to do more. We just need to keep showing up and continue the process and the practice. It's just like some of us right now or soon will be clearing gardens, right? And and all the, the dead leaves and whatever else is under there and beginning to, um, you know, plant some seeds, or you might even see up through there the green is coming. So he says that these days my life is filled with a general sense of trust and friendliness. Perhaps more important is the attitude of loving kindness that permeates my attitude towards strangers. I spent my early life at war with the world, and the hard practices of the Buddha taught me to surrender but not to give up the commitment to creating positive change. And now what was once rebellion fueled by hatred is now a revolution fueled by compassion. A revolution. Um, the, the author of The Little Prince, can someone say his name? Antoine de saint thank you, says, It is only with the heart that one can see rightly What is essential is invisible to the eye. It is only with the heart that one can see rightly. What is essential is invisible to the eye. So, Upandita... Uh, the Buddhist monk Upandita that many of our teachers have studied with um, in Burma, he describes that the blessings um, of the heart, of our wakefulness, of connecting with our deep, deepest nature this way. A heart that is ready for anything. When we trust that we are the ocean, we are not afraid of the waves. We have confidence that whatever arises is workable. We don't have to lose our life in preparation. We don't have to defend against what's next. We're free to live fully with what is here and to respond wisely. So when we come to know this essence of who we are, our true nature, that there's a bright light of awareness that shines through each of us and guides us home, we're never separated from this luminous awareness. And even when we feel most ashamed or lonely, reactive or confused, we're never actually apart from that awakened state of our heart-mind. There's a powerful and beautiful teaching that the Buddha was essentially saying, I am not the only one with this light. All human beings have this essential wakefulness too. In fact, this open, loving awareness is our deepest nature. We don't need to get somewhere or change ourselves, 
but our true refuge is what we are. And trusting this openness is to the blessings, openness to the blessings of freedom. So maybe now just ask yourself, you know, is my heart ready? Is my heart ready for anything? Or what would help or support my heart to be ready for anything? You could ask yourself, can I imagine what it would be like in this moment if half, even half of our hearts were ready for anything? That we could open to our losses and our sorrow? We could grieve our lost loves, lost youth, health, other losses? That this part of our humanness is part of our expression of our love for life? If our hearts are ready for anything, we will spontaneously stop hurting others and live in an ethical way. When there's room in our hearts for everything, even our wildest selves, there's room for our human selves for intimacy, understanding, creativity, productivity. When Manindra, who's another Vipassana meditation teacher who's passed away, asked why he practiced, his response was, so I will see the tiny purple flowers by the side of the road as I walk to town each day. With an undefended heart, we can fall in love with life over and over every day. We can become children of wonder, grateful to be walking on the earth, grateful to belong with each other and all creation. We find our true refuge in every breath. just invite you to take a moment before our closing reading so I leave you some time for some sharing tonight. Perhaps gently to let your awareness come into your heart space and just settle there. Just notice how the heart's feeling and resting there. Not judging the heart, just noticing. This is a poem called The Open Door by Donna Flutes. A door opens. Maybe I've been standing here shuffling my weight from foot to foot for decades. Or maybe I only knocked once. In truth, it doesn't matter. A door opens and I walk through without a backward glance. This is it then, one moment of truth in a lifetime of truth. A choice made 
a path taken, the gravitational pull of spirit too compelling to ignore any longer. I'm received by something far too vast to see. It has roots in antiquity, but speaks clearly in the present tense. Be, says the vastness. Be. Be without adverbs, descriptors, or qualities. Be so alive that awareness bears itself uncloaked and unadorned. Then go forth and give what you alone can give, awake to love and suffering, unburdened by the weight of expectations. Go forth to see and be seen, blossoming, always blossoming into your magnificence. Go forth, be, blossoming into your magnificence. We have a few minutes or so for any comments, questions, thoughts. Um, Yes, Judy. How is it possible to um, experience that, what what, what is said to be our true nature, um, if one did not have a parent who was was so loving and able to you know many, many reasons why someone might not be well, I think that's a good question, and I think that's especially why a reason why it's important to find other ways to connect with that love, especially if you have not received it, whether you have or not. You know, um, do you want to share your ex- anything from your experience? What's helped you to to feel that? So sometimes it can be a partner that you might experience that with or from. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of us don't grow up in conditions or have have those experiences. So that's what I, one of the things I love about this practice is that it is um, really addressing that deep human need um, and then how to cultivate that. And the fact that we may not have gotten it when we were young or experienced it does not mean that it's not possible to touch in. And, and that's often the journey. That's that excavation. I, I know um, some years ago when I did a loving-kindness retreat, the whole week was metta. And that was one of the most painful, difficult excavation retreats. Um, and, and, you know, probably in the top, 10, <laughs> you know, that was very difficult. It's like because in that process of uncovering, um, all this stuff came, you know, and there was anger and there was grief and frustration and hatred, stuff I was carrying I had no idea, memory, um, gener- generational memory, 
um, um, all kinds of things started to kind of come to the surface. And I remember at the end of that retreat, I saw two of my teachers, one who was one of the teachers on it, and they said, oh, your heart is so open. I thought, oh, if only you knew. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, really? <laughs> I was like, Ugh. you know. I didn't even know, realize how shut down and clen- I mean, I, and I wasn't like a mean person. I mean, I was really, I thought I was a super nice person, <laughs> but not to myself. You know, so it's it's uh, so the practices themselves are kind of these rotor rooter practices. Um, they start to clear out. Yeah. When I'm taking care of my grandchildren, or when I'm taking care of my children, giving them that love made me experience a thing that I hadn't done mm-hmm. when I was younger. So I recognize that. Mm-hmm. Need me more, much more able to go out and give that to the world, and then receive it from other people too. And when you talked about uh, food or alcohol or all sorts of other things we use to substitute for them, it made it with me too. Yeah. You know, in a, on a more practical level, how, how do you see yourself as someone giving? love and kindness in your life and what does the world look like when you're receiving it? How do you know you're getting that back? Or what is that connection that's happening uh, both ways? Well, I think that the process of if I understand the question of like how do you know what's it like? Well, what I found is that the teachings, the practice itself the, the noble abodes and in our chant book they have uh, some chants on, on the four immeasurables or the noble abodes and that actually that process when I started it, it I, I hated the practice I didn't like it I didn't like saying words and phrases I thought it was stupid I thought I, I, I just didn't even connect with it but then over time um, it started to click and then I, there, there, you can find creative ways to connect it. You know, it might be nature. Like, where do you feel most some connection or what brings some happiness or some peace to your heart? And then you bring those things to mind. You start finding what, what are, what's the key to connection? What's the key? And you start with that. And you can define loving kindness and compassion really broadly. Maybe it's somebody that's suffering that you really care about. Um, you know, just that spark we were talking the other day about um, working with somebody that's um, maybe, um, you know, has some form of autism and that even that, like, actually like animal-assisted therapy-type approaches or working in nature can help someone that doesn't even know how to make, can make eye contact or feel connected, just starts to connect with a lamb or a horse or a chicken, like, a dog, you know, a kitten, like just just to feel a connection, that little spark. And so for it took a, a while and like, you know, just patience. And then over time, it starts to flow. It's like, you know, how do you open up that, that flow? And sometimes it's more closed, sometimes more open, back and forth. And so not judging that, but just a simple stay 
with find the ways to do your um, practice, your noble abode practices. Find ways and times you feel connected. Bring it to mind. Um, walking meditation with that, you know, walk with it. Um, say the phrases anyway. I think I shared this story many times. One of our teachers, Kamala Masters, who's here in the summer, is one of my mentors, heart teachers and friends. And, you know, she, she literally said this. This is sweet Kamala. Um, she said, um, sometimes it's like sprinkling, sprinkling rose petals on shit. That's what she said. And that helped me a lot because that's what it felt like. You know, it's like this is pretty stinky and I can't believe I'm feeling like this or I think like this or, and, then, and then doing it anyway over and over. And you know what I started to find and actually I find it more and more is that some, some people I used to be more reactive to, I'm actually less reactive and I see their humanity sooner and I connect with the fact that they're maybe unhappy and some... I even enjoy, like I have someone now that I'm working with that showed up as extremely cynical and really like tough. But actually I really, I thought, wow, something in this practice has changed because I, this is where I'd be like, oh God, I don't know that I can work with this person. But now I'm like, I'm actually enjoying them and we're, we're even having moments of laughing together. I was like, how does that happen? Because I didn't always feel that way. And like even tonight, sitting here, I just feel just a, a, whether I know you, your name or not, I really feel the, the warmth. I mean, we're all in this together. We're all wanting to, you know, wake up and open our hearts. So I think it can just start to um, open up and not feel like, well, I'm the only, I got this stuff and I can't let anybody see it. It's like I've seen it and I've seen it a thousand times over and over again. Can I accept myself? Yes. Do I yell at my cat? Yes. Can I be nice? Yes. You know, and then I can see you and feel. So I don't know if that answers it. And then each of us has to find our own ways. So do you find your own ways. Does anyone want to share any of their ways? Yeah. Yes, please. And the question is, um, you shared earlier um, about the, it's always, a, it's always a good time to open the heart. Mm-hmm. I know that many of the commentaries speak to the same thing. But I find that right now I'm about to enter a very intense three-week period professionally. Mm-hmm. And in the past, I've found that in those moments, I make a conscious to shut the heart down. You, excuse me. Can you? Oh. So I said that I find that in those moments... Oh, well. Sorry. In those moments, I find that it's, it's beneficial for me mm-hmm. uh, to shut the heart down and just spartan my way through it. Yeah. Unfortunately, after that period is over, there's a, there's a very real sense of crashing and burning. Yeah. Mentally, emotionally, energetically. And then there's this recouping period that takes some time to, to, to build back up to. Mm-hmm. And so my question is, can you speak to some, like the wisdom uh, of when if ever it's beneficial to not open the heart, mm-hmm. that opening the heart energy might take away from other energies or other places of putting energy or, yeah, speaking to that dichotomy. Because I'm trying, because I don't believe it has to be like that. And I'm trying to intuit a different way of being in this moment. And I'm not, 
I'm, I'm not seeing it made clear to me in this moment. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a great question, and I wonder other people struggle with that. And you know, we all have our strategies and our patterns. Actually, I was talking with some one of my clients the other day. It's like, like this is the strategy, and you go into that mode, and that's how you learned how to cope or show up or do those things, put on your suit of armor and go forth. But, and I'm thinking, as I'm hearing you talk, I'm feeling compassion for that. So I'm wondering if just having compassion, I noticed you were holding, like just having compassion, oh, sweetheart, you're really stressed, or you know, like how you talk to yourself and being a good friend to yourself, especially at those times when you have to make the push. And you're, I know I was... Um, working on something and stretching this fall, new things, and it's really stressful, and it just sort of go into this mode or get really frustrated. And it was like, oh, right. And, um, and so I have, I have objects on my altar that remind me to be kind and gentle. One of them's a stuffed animal my, one of my f- teachers gave me, and I hold it. <laughs> you know, a little nurturing, a little TLC goes a long way. And then just breathing, right? Kind of. <sighs> so I think the both, you know, being really kind and then maybe have friends that can like go, hey, chill out, man, you know. <laughs> Take a break. Yeah. So let me know how your experiments go. Yeah. Is there one other comment? Yeah. It is the same thing, but when I run, and I used, I used to do this when I would run, I would start... Mm-hmm. Argument, an old argument. Very good at it. I could run for miles relatively comfortable in this And I talked to Mark about this, but the cost of that was high. Yes. But, but I was good at it and difficult to give it up. And I oh. I've been more mindful with running. It's not as it wasn't as easy at first, but it took practice. So I feel for you because if you give this up it will be harder. And you're good at it right now. So I, I don't have an answer for you except right. that's what I did with running and I, I, I'm, not as, I, I'm not practicing getting angry anymore. That, that's wonderful and I appreciate that. There's that transition time where it's really tough. So we need to finish. So, oh, sorry. Maybe we could talk. Um, then it's um, 8.30. So we'll just make sure we'll dedicate um, the benefits of our practice and really encourage you to tend your heart and see what are your ways to touch in and to connect and clear and care for your hearts um, this uh, season, this spring. Thank you. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website www.commongroundmeditation.org Thank Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.